How's it going, everybody, tonight? Good. Thank you. All right. Um, what we're going to be talking about tonight, as you guys already know, as Quentin has already mentioned before, is this role of displacement and the role of cities and the role of gentrification and what our cities are going to be looking like going forward. Tonight, I'm going to do something a little different um, in the sense that I'm going to be talking to you about the city that I know and love, which is my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. What we're going to be doing tonight is looking at my particular film, which is The Atlanta Way, which is a documentary on gentrification. So we're going to walk through a lot of things that are about our film that you guys may or may not be able to apply here in Boston or where you guys are from as well. And so, you know, also, just to throw this out there, I like to use my phone. So if you guys see me reaching on my phone, I'm not on Instagram. I'm just making sure that we're hitting all of the points that we want to hit tonight. And without further ado, we can start from here. So as you guys can see, this is me. I just want you guys to get a kind of feel for me. I understand who I am. King Williams, I am, again, a student of Georgia State University. But honestly, my name is Jared. And I want to kind of bring that up because my parents named me that way for a specific reason. For that, those of you who don't know what Jared means, it comes from two particular uh, phrases. One, Jared, uh, from the Germanic sense, which means spear, which means to be brave. The other, in Hebrew, which, which means he sh who should rule. And I want you guys, as we're talking tonight, to focus on the issue of rulership who rules what, what constitute rule, and also who gets to make the rules. So, as we look at the word gentrification, the word actually comes from the French word, which actually predates that, which dates back to Roman Britain, which refers to gentry, as you guys can see behind me. And for those guys who don't know what the gentry is, essentially it's the people who actually control and run essentially feudal France at that particular point in time. And more specifically, I want you guys to have a definition so you guys can also see by definition what it means. And so in telling the story of Atlanta, it was really important for myself and the story that I want to tell alongside my friends at Georgia State University is that when we speak about gentrification, we're coming from a very specific place. In terms of what happened in Atlanta, Atlanta is a microcosm for gentrification efforts going on in other cities across the country, particularly Chicago, particularly New Orleans, when the gentry in this case of Atlanta being the Atlanta Housing Authority and the city government themselves would be the people who actually would set aside the rules and the policies and the procedures that would essentially change our city for better, for worse, and for always with regards to the 1996 Olympics. And again, focusing on rule, focusing on gentry, looking at who actually decided and who made the decisions. First, I want you guys to understand the person who actually brought the term gentrification to our lexicon as collectively was in 1964 by this wonderful woman named Ruth Glass. What she was doing, she was exploring what was happening in her particular neighborhoods in London, England. She used the word gentry and she added the particular term to lexicon because that was the best way that she could describe it. And that brings us to present day what our story is about, which is the Atlanta Way. That's from particularly Booker T. Washington and Atlanta Compromise. This predates the actual phrase, the Atlanta Way, by about 10 or 15 years. The Atlanta Way, for you guys who don't know, actually is a phrase that's used in Atlanta. It refers to two 
particularly the black and white elite of Atlanta who at pre-turn of the century, going all the way until the early days of Daddy King, would essentially run the city, the black and white business elite, the black and white political elites, in order to keep Atlanta in terms of representing it, they wanted to keep it whole, they wanted to keep it poor, they wanted it to not be Birmingham and other cities in the South. So these particular coalitions governed each other through segregation. So henceforth, that's why the term is called the Atlanta Way, and it's based in what Booker T. Washington and what you guys heard earlier in the Atlanta Compromise. Also with that said, this also will play out with regards to our public housing in the future. When the first Techwood project being Techwood Homes opened in Atlanta, it was made sure that these particular projects were segregated. Both the first projects who actually opened in the United States, not necessarily breaking ground, was Techwood Homes, and that opened in 1935. The first public housing project for African Americans, University Homes, opened in 1941. Again, these are two things by both parties of the gentry who set aside their economic policy with regards to what they want to do with the city of Atlanta. Always separate, always equal, but always separate. And so, essentially what made me want to decide to do this story was, I grew up in Atlanta. I grew up in East Atlanta specifically, Decatur specifically for you guys who don't know. To this day, I guess I see somebody in the crowd. <laughs> and for those of you guys who don't know, it's majority black. Um, Again, Atlanta is a racialized city, and once I got to school at Georgia State, as you guys can see behind me, these were several students who decided to work with me on a particular idea, and we thought it was a great question to ask, which is where did the people go? The people being the first people of Techwood Homes and East Lake Meadows once those public housing projects were removed for the 96 Olympics. I remember asking my mother and my father what happened to those people, and no one could really give me an answer. And to put it in how significant that was is, 10% of all people prior to the 1996 in Atlanta Housing Authority public housing. If you take 10% of anything, we'll take 10% of New York City. At 10% of New York City, you're talking 820,000 people. That's pretty significant. And what changes is because this particular project that you guys are looking at right here, which was East Lake Meadows, which was the catalyst, the first project to go down in lieu of the 1996 Olympics. This was a really groundbreaking and innovative measure in the sense that before this point in time, people had public housing and everyone thought that public housing had to be substandard. And also this contradicts the image of Atlanta that we see today, which is essentially, you know, high life, black, middle class, black, upper class, and all these things are going on. Essentially, you have two dynamics within Atlanta itself. You have the dynamic of the black poorer class, as well as the dynamic of the black upper class, and they both live within the same city. East Lake Meadows, for a lot of people, Techwood Homes, Perry Homes, and the image that was portrayed wasn't necessarily one image that I believe was true. In addition to doing that, the other students at Georgia State itself felt the same way. They think because we live in the project that we are the project. We're human beings, first and foremost, and we're residents who want to have something. We're not lazy like they, they say we are. We pay rent. Some of us get laxed behind because they lost a job or something like that. But then if you don't give a person an opportunity to do anything, then you get what you give out, nothing. It's not about right and wrong, it's about equality. And it's about the quality of the residents. And I just feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna tear down a property and displace people, they should have an opportunity to speak out not their First Amendment snatched away from them, but to be able to speak out, not to be intimidated and afraid to speak out so that they don't come to meetings to know what's going on with their community. But this has been done, 
And it's like the Gestapo coming in. We're in America. At least I thought we were. The closing of the Senate, the changing of the locks, and then the scare tactics. We're going to evict you. Let me say this to you. They, residents raise their hand and ask questions. Oh, well, we'll come back and we'll answer that the next time. Or we'll give it to you in writing and it never comes. Or they'll say, uh, one, one lady asked, uh, well, if you're going to give us doctors like that and reveal, she says, can we come move back in? And he told her he didn't have an answer. Then he said that if you move out, no, what did he say? If they don't want to move, what happened? He said, we'll evict you. It's just like when they write the plan. They write the plan, they bring the plan. So it's no consultation because our ideas go to the back of the plan which means you don't have a plan for us to consultate on, is your plan. And that particular clip that was of Diane Wright. And Diane Wright was the resident leader of Hollywood Courts. Hollywood Courts is one of the last remaining public housing projects that we worked on within the film. Which brings us to one of the first and important facts about Atlanta, which is this is the first film to, to analyze the gentrification of an entire city. Now, this is alongside my colleague here, Mr. Andrew, who's working on one as well in New York City, so it's great to actually work with someone who's essentially working on a series of firsts. In regards to Atlanta, the other thing that I would like you guys to know is that for us, Atlanta's the first city in U.S. and world history to not only open public housing, but it's also the first city to close all of its public housing. Despite what people may think, essentially the Atlanta project and the Atlanta model failed. Now, the new income model is mixed income communities, and because of that, Atlanta is seen as the center of rebuilding and new ideas with regard to public housing. Now, our third fact is that because of mixed income communities, you can see this in new places like New Orleans, as well as the Caprini Green and Chicago Housing Authority's elimination of all their public housing projects. The reason being is because the Atlanta public housing project concept of mixed income communities and diversified communities have worked. The controversy, in a sense, comes from who gets to come back to the projects as well as who gets to receive vouchers and subsidies for these particular things. The reason why most people are upset and the reason why you saw Diane Wright is because most residents, when they get an opportunity to come back, if they do get an opportunity to come back, it's not 100% of the residents prior. So in most public housing projects, if 100% of the units went down, only 20% were back. So in bringing back only 20% of the residents, yes, you have addressed the issue of low-income communities, but at the same point in time, there are 80% of residents now who had subsidies, who had vouchers, who had a place to live, albeit it may not be the best place, but now you have a system in which, now you see in Chicago, what happens when you disperse people who have no job, no income, no source of income for a long period of time. But the thing that makes Atlanta different, in a sense, from other places like Chicago is that it's always been an outlier. It's been north of the south and south of the north, as been said by W.E.B. Dubois. But at the same point in time, it's one of the few cities, at least that once it gentrified, it managed to make money. It managed to make a profit. Most places, when they do tear down public housing, they don't necessarily generate a profit. With the Atlanta Housing Authority model, once projects are torn down and once things are destroyed, you are able to sell and renovate the land. So one of the things we wanted to address in the film is, is the Atlanta Housing Authority essentially for the people? Or is the Atlanta Housing Authority essentially a government-subsidized real estate agency? And the reason being is derived from the 96 Olympics, as you guys can see the fountain before. But the 96 Olympics, it's the last financially solvent Olympics in human history at this point in time. And I know you guys, Boston, may or may not be looking at the Olympics in 2024. I'm going to say it now. 
you should really think about this. this <laughs> The reason being is because one, once public housing projects went down with the Atlanta Housing Authority as well as the city government, you were able to tax, sell, and annex the land that you were already there before. In addition to that, in addition to selling the land, more and more development comes in as we know with gentrification and how it works and how things step up. But the thing that made Atlanta very different in the sense that people kept coming after the Olympics. Now with Boston, if you guys were to accept the Olympics, Will that necessarily bring in new growth? And for most other cities, it doesn't. If you guys could see what's gonna happen just with Rio after the World Cup, if you guys could see what happened with London with the $50 billion that they spent, these are gonna be things that are gonna be raised out of tax dollars, things that are going to affect you guys here in Boston directly and immediately. In addition, as you guys can also know from our Braves, Atlanta Braves team with their debacle going to Cobb County, the reason why that even happened is because on the book still to this day, any and all public funds can be used for uh, gain if it used the Olympic model of governance, which is essentially the Atlanta Braves thought that, hey, well, since it, there's a, a law in the books that says if we tax motels and we collect taxes for motels and events, we should be able to use that money to effectively build new stadiums and build new arenas, things that bring in income. Now, it is a good idea in theory, but unfortunately, it doesn't really happen. And so that brings us to one problem that we've had with the Atlanta way going forward, and even in the beginning, which is that most people don't like that idea. Most people don't like the idea of people essentially making a film about gentrification, a film that tries to analyze both cause and effect. For us, we interviewed the residents, as you guys can see, the Diane Wright, we interviewed the developers, we interviewed those who worked with Atlanta Housing Authority because we wanted one consistent answer. And unfortunately, we couldn't get one. Because when you talk about gentrification, at the end of the day, it's a very personal and a very effective way to get someone's true emotion about what they think about life. In the sense that when we interviewed most of the residents in public housing, they weren't necessarily against not moving out of public housing. What they were against is necessarily breaking up their homes, breaking up their families, breaking up their social structures without any regard to what they're gonna be doing. So as you saw Diane Wright said, the plan, the plan that she's referring to, the Atlanta Housing Authority's plan at that particular time to move and renovate all of the people in Hollywood courts and to hopefully open that up for new development. And for the record, Hollywood court still sits vacant to this day. So that was five years ago. And for most of the developmental projects in Atlanta that have been essentially raised, only about a third of them have actually been developed on. So now you have two thirds of people who could have been still in public income housing or low income housing who aren't there. So that's one of the problems that we've had with our film in response to people who don't necessarily want to see that happen again. And one of the biggest misnomers is that our Southern County, which is Clayton County, for you guys who don't know, that could be the equivalent of Roxbury, or if you guys are from New York, the South Bronx, which is the poorest, County of our five major counties, the overall response was that because public housing has ended in Atlanta, everyone went south. And within reality, the numbers don't point to that, but it becomes a convenient scapegoat. That convenient scapegoat now refers to the city needed to more gentrify even Clayton County because at this point in time, if there is an issue of crime, you're pushing out more and more people. Now, this isn't necessarily done with the Atlanta Housing Authority, but what we're seeing is gentrification as a mechanism for urban development and essentially resegregation of Atlanta the Atlanta that the people who worked in the Atlanta Compromise and Booker T. Washington worked so hard to at least make better for both the poor of both blacks and whites. So for the last few years, you know, I've had a chance to really understand it, understand what that means to really be a gentrifier and what it means to work as someone who is being gentrified. And they have one commonality in the sense that for both parties, the idea of subjugation is something that neither one wants. The gentrified doesn't want to push somebody out of their home. 
the person who is gentrifying the neighborhood wants to make money, but they don't necessarily want to hurt families. The person who is being gentrified wants the same amenities. The same amenities that other people are getting from middle class, but they don't want to necessarily have to lose their homes, lose their property, lose their low-income jobs because they can't afford to live there. And since we're here at Harvard talking about cities, the one thing I noticed with Atlanta and now living in New York is, is the future of cities being unaffordable. Because at least in Atlanta, the overstarking and overwhelming reality is that it's becoming vastly affordable for even middle-income persons. In New York, see, I know Andrew as well can state that it's hard to live in New York, and I live in New York. So if the future of cities is to gentrify, and the future of cities is to redevelop, are we re redeveloping ourselves out of our own cities? And at what point in time are we looking at a way for our city to be essentially one whole city for every group of people? And right now with the Atlanta, we've seen the model that works for Atlanta, which is mixed income communities, which essentially does work, but you don't get 100% participation. So if our cities are going to work, will they be working as cities with only 20% of its public housing, or will it be cities with only 10% of its financially poor, or will it only be cities with only 10% of its women? The overwhelming answer right now, the way cities are going, is that we're keeping things separate because we need tax dollars. And at the end of the day, tax dollars trumps human interest. And so for us shooting the film, this is one thing that we really hope that people get a chance to connect to, and particularly, we, I hope you guys here at Harvard think about it, you guys are going forward with how you develop and how you lead the next generation of people, as well as the next cities, as well as the next governments and government plans. And so for us in Atlanta, our story is pretty much set in stone at this point. There are people who are trying to change it, and I'm glad that we actually now will have a better public transit system as of last three weeks ago. And so that's a small step forward. But essentially, you guys in Boston have the opportunity to not be where Atlanta is. You guys may or may not get the Olympics. It is a strong possibility that you do. You guys may or may not be gentrifying. Oh, well, I'm trying, you know, this is hard. I gotta, you know, do better. So, but going forward, it's the idea of where are we as cities? Where are we as people? And the city that I want to live in is a city that's vastly affordable. The place I wanna live in is a place that where I can live in a middle income area be of middle income, but also know people who are working class, who are working poor, who all have the same ideas and the same goals and aspirations. We may not necessarily have the same financial standings, but at least we have the same social and resource standings that comes with being a resident of the city. And because of that, I'm really hoping and I'm really thankful that Harvard has brought myself here today with the panelists that you guys here before me, because they're gonna speak on what it takes and what it means for their particular city, as well as what it means going forward. And I thank you guys for having me today. This is very important to everyone here. And on behalf of that, we can take a pause for a bit and I will open up for my fellow guests.